Now, even though it's been a little abnormal signing day for ASU, it wouldn't be signing day for us if we didn't have our man here joining us for what is somewhere near his 80th appearance. We're going to have to go and check the archives, I think. To a see. literal four score, perhaps? It's something like that. Of course, we can only be talking about one guy. Hodor Bain from DevilsDigest.com. We're going to talk a little bit about this uh, mini signing class, I guess you could say, and what the future holds in recruiting for ASU. Before we dive into some of the specifics, uh, what is your overall impression of this group of six players that were officially inked today? Well, if you're just looking at overall impression without really getting into the weeds on each and every player, I just feel that we saw this coming from 10,000 miles away ever since the NCAA allegations became public in the month of June. It just felt like, okay, recruiting class is going to get hit and hit hard. And what we're seeing today, I think, really has fulfilled those expectations. I wouldn't call it uh, too harsh. I wouldn't call it um, too rosy of a picture. It's really what we expected. ASU is going to hit the transfer portal. Uh, um, heavy and hard and as a result of that the number of high school prospects are going to be signed is going to be very small Uh, even though Herm Edwards said from day one that he really doesn't want to go into the junior college transfer market we're already seeing a couple in this in this class right away and not out of the ordinary part of the question I should say that we'll see some more in them in 2022 be added to the group so Honestly, you know, it's a it's an okay group. Obviously, it's uh, really a recruiting class that is operating under very adverse circumstances. And I think ASU, by and large, really did the, the best the best they could uh, with uh, everything that has transpired off the field that has caused this recruiting class to take the shape and form that it is today. Now, Tevin White is not only the highest rated, but in a way could be the most crucial commit in this group, given the losses of Rashad White and potentially uh, Chip Trainum. What is ASU getting in White, and can he be looked upon for an immediate impact? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, that Tevin White is really uh, go, come, coming into a great situation. And if you recall, Brad, Tevin White's uh, visit to ASU could not have happened uh, in, in a worse timing because he was actually in town a few days before the official visit started when the news broke about the NCAA allegations and the investigation that the NCAA was conducting uh, in in ASU. So uh, he was somebody that was very bullish on the Sun Devils for weeks, if not months, leading up to his visit. And now when this adverse significant news breaks, you think that Tevin White, okay, he may still go through the visit, but what's going to happen with what everybody saw, thought was really just a silent pledge, if you will, ahead of time and this visit was really just uh, meant, meant meant to seal the deal but uh Devin white uh really proved uh, loyal i think it was a great recruiting job by running backs coach uh, shauna guano and um i think that if you know if you talk about the thunder and lightning that asu had with white and Trainum, then i think that uh Devin white may be more on the side of, of the lightning uh it's a six one two oh seven he probably will remind you of Rashad White. Obviously, no relation there in uh, in, in his style, but uh, somebody that uh, definitely stands um, a great um, a great possibility, a great opportunity, I should say, to really flourish. He's ranked uh, in our network network number seven among all-purpose backs. So I think you're really going to see a Rashad White-like 
our running back that's uh, not only going to run the ball well, but really be an exceptional receiver out of the backfield. Um, obviously, when you talk about Rashad White, that's a really high bar to even try and come close to meet. But I think uh, that Tevin White uh, throughout his career uh, should be should be proved to be uh, a very very capable back, and I think a very nice compliment to uh, Daniel Engada who uh, just in the, it seems like in the blink of an eye went from a third-string running back to now the featured back, not only not only in the Las Vegas Bowl, but really maybe for the entire 2022 season. So now place kicker might not be the most alluring position in the world, but it's obviously a difference maker. We've seen uh, both good and bad kicking at ASU in the last handful of years. The Devils look like they got a very good one in Carter Brown. What does he bring uh, to the team, and is this a deal where we can just basically lock him in as the kicker for next year, or do you think it's going to be – more of a development and closer competition with him and Zendejas? Well, honestly, not to uh, besmirch, uh, you know, any of the returning kickers uh, for ASU, but but I but I think Carter Brown uh, should ultimately prevail and be the number one kicker uh, for, from the, for the Sun Devils. Uh, he really has a very, very good range on, on his kickoffs, and obviously the strong, lane, the strong leg that he has also lends itself to being a, a, very, a very good kickoff guy as well. So, uh, yeah, I think that, um, you know, with the uh, – you can, you can recall like a, like a, the dire uh, status, I would say, of, of, of the field goal kicking uh, of ASU right now. Uh, it was really uh, imperative that, that, that ASU being, being somebody like Carter Brown. I, I would even uh, say right now that I think that uh, he may be the best kicker that ASU has landed since, since Zane Gonzalez. Now, if you remember Zane Gonzalez's career trajectory – it's not like he started out on fire and obviously, you know, waited until senior year to, to win the Lou Groza Award. And I'm not saying Carter Brown is a Lou Groza Award in the uh, award winner in the making, but uh, but I feel like in terms of the qualities that Zane Gonzalez had, I think Carter Brown uh, is probably the the, the, the closest um, uh, kicker of that caliber that then that ASU had since then. Like I was telling somebody earlier today, I don't think that ASU really lost. Um, many games if any uh, just because of, of, of poor field goal kicking but I think going into 2022 if uh, Carter Brown is really able to make that transition seamlessly and I think for a kicker that really shouldn't be uh, that, that much of an issue maybe compared to other positions on the field I think that I think that ASU has uh, just really overnight uh, sh- shored up its uh, um, kicking uh, kicking situation and really with uh, with a great uh, punter Eddie Chapisky who I think had a really good freshman year I think that ASU was uh, set uh, very nicely and maybe set the best they have they have in that department going back to uh, the years that Zane Gonzalez and Matt Hawk at punter uh, were, were playing for Arizona State. So uh, special teams, I think, for, for ASU for 2022 is looking uh, pretty, pretty well right now, assuming Carter Brown uh, can really fulfill the great promise that he has. Now, after a, a few weeks have gone by since he decommitted from Northwestern, and so quarterback Bennett Meredith – uh, you know, committed and signed with the Sun Devils today. Do you think this guy is a, a player that has potential to be Jaden Daniels' heir? Well, I don't think it's going to be Jaden Daniels uh, like Brad, just because he's really more of a of a pro style quarterback. Um, you know, I, I don't know how many how many people listening to this podcast actually got to see Finn Collins during practices, but you would compare him to Finn Collins. But I think Finn Collins, in all honesty, is actually more athletic than than somebody like like a Bennett Meredith. But but at six three, uh, one uh, just under one hundred ninety pounds, he def- definitely has a good frame that he can actually grow and grow and be stronger. And I would say, if you compare to Jamie Daniels, who really had to put on a lot of weight from day one, I think that in that uh, regard, uh, Meredith comes 
with, a, with a better physical frame and somebody that can definitely add some uh, good, good weight, as they say, uh, to, to really even bulk, bulk up that much. But it, it seems like Arizona State in some ways uh, really maybe is more comfortable with, with going with, with a pro-style uh, quarterback because even – you look even look at Finn Collins. Who I mentioned a second ago, he was he, he was a Zach Hill recruit, and now he got Ben Meredith. I mean, I'm not saying we're never going to see a dual threat quarterback at all at Arizona State in the near future, but it does seems like there is some kind of trend emerging, at least in the last couple of recruiting classes, of a base who having that that type of quarterback. It's really anybody's guess uh, if he can come um, right out of the gates and and push to be that number two quarterback. And again, not to not to mention Phil Collins again, but if you recall, he started spring practice on a very strong note, and it seemed like he was just destined to be the backup for Jaden Daniels. And as spring practice progressed, and the and more and more of the playbook was introduced to him, uh, Finn Collins uh, really really struggled with that, and Trent Bourget ended up being the the number two uh, quarterback just by virtue of being a veteran and knowing the system better than somebody like Collins. But I'm really curious to see uh, Meredith, who's, who's going to arrive here in the spring, if he can make a big splash and, more importantly, sustain that splash in spring practice to, to make to make him a number two quarterback. And let's face it, we're expecting 2022 to be Jaden Daniels last year in Tempe. So it's imperative uh, that ASU is going to have a good heir apparent. And I think Ben Meredith on paper uh, definitely uh, does have the potential to do that. So which of this group of signees, and, and even if you want to expand it into the uh, FBS transfers that are not officially announced. Um, which of those guys do you feel has the biggest diamond in the rough potential? I think the, the biggest diamond rough potential would actually be a, a tight end from Oregon, Jacob Jacob Newell. Um, I was talking some uh, some people closer to the recruitment, and they and they were telling me that Newell was a perfect example of a recruit in the COVID era, if you will, that was really easy to fly under the radar just because the exposure of recruits who are kind of average or at least in perception uh do do, do kind of get lost in the mix uh, when you have restrictions as far as us seeing them in person and maybe they uh, also suffer from uh abbreviated high school seasons and whatnot and uh, and for arizona state to, to get a tight end that i heard that teams like oregon and boise state were really kicking themselves that uh they were not um on a newell uh, much earlier than they were or maybe didn't recruit them at all um, I think that that ASU really uh, really got a steal over here, six five two thirty. So already really has a, a college ready body, and I would say in general, Brad, I think I think tight end maybe not so much under the radar is one position that this recruiting class, as small as it is, really really did well. Uh, Bryce Bryce Pierre, a, a junior college um, uh, tight end from uh, from Mount Sac, the same junior college that Rashad White came from, is um, is somebody who was also a six five, uh, just under two hundred forty pounds. Somebody actually, Jaden Daniels, does have some uh, familiarity with. I think uh, that's uh, you know an, another good addition for the tight end uh, room. And uh, last but not least, we talked about transfers. Um, Messiah Swinson, who ironically uh, did uh, officially visit ASU back uh, back in 2017, Todd Graham's last year. So somebody that uh, at least some people in that ASU recruiting office are, are familiar with. Uh, he's a, he's a transfer from Missouri, and uh, this tight end group, I think, just overnight with this recruiting class. Um, has become uh, one, one, one of the strongest uh, the strongest position groups on, on the whole team. And even though uh, ASU is lo- losing uh, Curtis Hodges and John Stivers, I think that uh, the tight end uh, group as a whole in 2022 is really going to be one of the stronger the stronger groups out there. And overall, 
as much issues as this passing game has had in uh, 2021, I think that there definitely was uh, proof to the pudding, if you will, that the tight ends are going to be more involved in the passing game. So I, I would look for this group uh, to be even a bigger a bigger part of the passing game in 2022. And I really feel that in terms of the talent level, uh, it's uh, really um, more um, present and, and more abundant, I would say, than 2021, let alone 2020. Now, given the group of signees and the committed transfers uh, locked in place, just the you know phase one, basically, of this 2022 class, what position groups do you feel are going to be the most targeted by the Sun Devil staff in the coming weeks and months? Well, one position that I really mentioned from day one is, is safety. Uh, when you looked at the uh, decommits that took place as a result of the NCAA investigation, uh, the safety group was was hit uh, really, really hard. ASU had a pair of uh, four-star uh, safeties in the 2022 class from the high school ranks, really, really uh, coveted players. And uh, that's something that ASU is definitely going to have to address in short order. Uh, Kiwan Markham, I think, you know, in 2022 is uh, coming back as as the best safety in the group. But the depth uh, behind him, let alone just even have a starter um, alongside him, is very, very suspect. We have a lot of unproven players. And I think that ASU feels that, uh, you know, if, if, they, if they couldn't get the stud four-star prospect out of high school, then they really need to go with with, with a proven with a proven player from the transfer portal. They already do have uh, – one, one transfer in the fold, uh, Derek Smith, who played for both Miami and Illinois. And uh, he's somebody that obviously the coaching staff feels uh, is, is as good, maybe even better than the group of than anybody in the group of safeties right now, maybe aside from Kiwan Markham. So I think safety is, is definitely a one position that ASU has to really strike gold in the transfer portal. Um, in terms of uh, offensive tackle, obviously losing uh, left tackle, I should say in specific, uh, Kellen Deesh exhausting his eligibility after the bowl game. So uh, ASU definitely has to do well over there. And um, <clears throat> I would say maybe borderline disappointing that they weren't able to uh, address it this early in the recruiting process. But uh, it's uh, no secret that you could see ASU uh, still having additions um, in June and in, 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 even in July, just a few weeks before before the August, uh, August fall camp, because uh, this uh, recruiting cycle is going to be a long one, one that is really going to have to exercise a lot of patience and just wait for those um, transfer portal waves, if you will, <clears throat> which do happen um, right, right after the postseason ends and then right after the uh, respective spring practices with the different programs end. So uh, ASU is really going to have to do uh, do well over there. And I think last position would probably be uh, would be nose tackle. I, I think I think the TJ Pasafea is uh, you know definitely a capable Pac-12 starting uh, nose tackle, but again, when you talk about the depth, depth behind him, uh, you definitely you definitely have some question marks over there. So, right at the top of my head, I would say those are the positions that ASU is going to have to do very well, and most likely really find those type of players in the transfer portal rather than the high school or the junior college ranks. As we've discussed, you know ASU is hitting the portal hard in large part out of necessity, but the four known transfer commits all have multiple years of eligibility left. Uh, you know, looking long-term, do you foresee any possible negative ramifications for taking such a portal-heavy class? Well, basically, ASU wanted really to uh, minimize the gap between uh, the, the, the underclassmen and, and, the, and the senior class and didn't really want to uh, end up uh, just uh, really ignoring the transfer portal or really going really light on it. And then, in, uh, not so much in 2022, but 2023, have a really small 
a, a small senior class. So I think that ASU's hands uh, were, were just kind of tied in terms of really need to get a lot of players from the, from the transfer portal. I mean, they have right now technically four such players, and I could see that amount uh, uh, being tripled uh, really easily. Again, I'm not saying that they're just going to add those eight additional uh, transfer portal players in January or maybe even in March. It's going to be a very long and methodical process. It's definitely going to go into the summer. But I just feel in terms of balancing the different classes that ASU really did have to go that route. And also, you know, when you talk about trying to find a replacement for Kalendisha at left tackle, chances are um, you're not going to find somebody from the high school ranks. Uh, even junior college ranks is kind of questionable. You're really going to have to be lucky like you were with Kalendish coming out of the transfer portal a couple of years ago from Texas A&M to find such a player in, in the transfer portal in the weeks and months to come. So I, I, I think that there is some method to the madness, if you will, with ASU really going heavy, um, heavy on the transfer portal. And not to belabor the point, but when you're under NCAA investigation, it is much easier to land transfer portal players rather than rather than high school players. And that's really the card that ASU has been dealt. And they're just going to continue and shape this 2022 recruiting class as such with uh, just being very heavy on the transfer portal. So, of course, ASU is also, like everybody, lost players to the transfer portal uh, and some names that are, you know, ones that are near the upper part of the depth chart, Chip Trainum, Tommy Hill, some others, guys like Jordan Porter, Jordan Banks. Now, as far as their motivation, is it just simple stuff like they're looking for a change of scenery and more playing time, or do you think the NCAA investigation factors into these transfers that ASU uh, is standing to lose? Yeah, honestly, Joe, I think I think maybe the NCAA investigation has less to do uh, with those, uh, those those folks leaving. Um, I think you really have to almost have to examine each and every player in their unique situation. With Jordan Porter, a wide receiver, yes, I, I would say it's just basically just playing time. And maybe it's an issue where uh, graduate assistant Bobby Wade uh, maybe doesn't think as highly of Jordan Porter as uh, the his original coach, Frederick Gill, did. So that, that that could be an issue over there. Jordan Banks, to me, was a tweener, um, you know, maybe uh, – not 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 a great linebacker and maybe maybe a better pass rusher but not not really having the ideal size to play defensive end if you recall there were many practices where he was practicing with the defensive line so he really didn't find himself a home uh for for lack of a better term and and i think also with asu having uh, a very very good and deep uh, linebacker group it was just really hard for jordan banks uh really hard i'm sorry for jordan banks to to, to really break out and to me, honestly, that that's an enigma because uh, if you look at all of the offers that he has compared to other players in his class, I mean, I don't think a lot of them could even hold a candle uh, to uh, to the to the caliber of offers that the guy that Jordan Banks had. Uh, then, if you look at a guy like uh, like Chip Trainum, look, I mean, you, you hate to say it, uh, but um, I don't feel that the coaching staff really played uh, th- their hand correctly and wisely with Trainum. Yes, I do know that he did have some fumbling issues, but you look at somebody uh, like Tavian Thomas from Utah who had, I, I would say, even much worse funding issues earlier in the season, and the coaches did not lose faith in him. They they kept on you know, feeding him the ball, and uh, sure and sure enough, he's uh, first-team uh, Pac-12 when, when, it's, when it's all said and done. And with Trainum, you know, if you remember that, that uh, two-game stretch where Rashad White had 60 carries in two contests back-to-back, and Trainum had nine, that almost to me was the writing on the wall that Trainum cannot be a happy camper by any means and is probably going to look 
uh, for Aguino for Pastures. As you know, we visited Michigan uh, last weekend. Uh, nothing a, nothing of a done deal yet over there in Ann Arbor. But uh, when I was talking to some folks in the know at, at Michigan, they told me that they are very, very high in freedom. And, and why wouldn't you be? He really is an exceptional running back. So I hate to say it, but I, I just don't feel like the coaching staff really approached, uh, to, you know, train him and the uh, amount of carries he was getting on any given week uh, really, really wisely, even with the funding issues. And even though Rashad White is one of the best running backs we're ever going to see here in Tempe, but uh, that was just, uh, to me, uh, a, a, a damn shame just to uh, create that environment that, that ended up uh, having Trainum leave and uh, really causes, um, I would say, quite, quite a headache for ASU's ground game. I really like Dano and Gata, but uh, for him to be the feature back and now trying to rely a lot on Tevin White, as talented as he is as a four-star prospect, I think that maybe that is asking a little too much for him even to be a – a solid uh, number two running back. Uh, you know, I don't know if ASU is going to be lucky uh, two years later and just uh, find somebody that flew under the radar like Rashad White did in the, out of the junior college ranks two years ago and, and add somebody like that in the mix. Because if they can't, I think you'll you'll see that in 2022, the loss of Trainum is really going to be much more adverse than anybody expected to be in an ASU running game that was absolutely exceptional in 2020 in 2020 and 2021, I think uh, could uh, be taking a step backwards, maybe a significant step backwards in 2022, unless uh, they can, again, strike gold, either in the transfer portal or the junior college ranks um, as this 2022 recruiting class is uh, rounding out. So we know that the NCAA investigation has had its impact on this signing period, this signing class, and there's legitimate concern that it could for future one or ones as well but it it's kind of like the details aren't known so you know i'm sure a lot of folks are wondering you know what exactly how exactly has this investigation negatively impacted asu's recruiting for this 2022 class and what concerns should you have as you as you turn the page to next year well you know negative recruiting happens all the time i mean you know you know john brad you guys have been following recruiting long enough to know that uh you know, every school out there is, is really is really going to bash any other school that they're going up against for any given prospect. And, you know, to say, oh, it's too hot in, in Tempe uh, during fall camp, if, it, if, if that was a low-hanging fruit, then, you know, having an NCAA investigation is low-hanging fruit on steroids and just one element that any school that ASU goes up against can just throw that at your face time and time again. And look, I, I don't think it's any secret that some of the recruits that uh, were mentioned in that dossier, which I think was in much smaller in scope than a lot of people think it actually is, but some of those recruits were actually players that visited here in Tempe, may, and, and some of them even committed to the Sun Devils. And once uh, the evidence came out, and now we have these allegations tied into uh, players that committed uh, to ASU, then those players really were, were, were just forced, um, you know, to, to decommit from the Sun Devils. And obviously, it's not like ASU can say, oh, well, and just go after another four-star prospect after they lost one due to the incident investigation. So it really does tie to ASU's hands severely uh, going after really, really good, uh, you know, prospects. And again, I mentioned like the safety position. I mean, 
you know, back in, you know, early June or, or just the spring in general, I mean, ASU was sitting pretty. I mean, really having a great succession plan, if you will, uh, having, uh, having a couple, I think even three, uh, four-star safeties. And uh, then some investigation happens. And, you know, some of those safeties may or may not be part of that dossier. And, and poof, it's, it's all gone. So, um, you know, it, it, it definitely just had ASU uh, be really creative and uh, just know even back in June, July, that the transfer portal, rather than the high school and junior college ranks, is really going to be the meat and potatoes of this recruiting class. If you're asking about the investigation in general, I think that there might be the perception that ASU is going to really get, get hit hard and, and, and really in a severe way. But I also feel that Yes, there was probably a very uh, clear paper trail for the three assistant coaches that are still on admin leave and have been ever since the summer. But really beyond that, I'm, I'm really questioning what else is in that dossier that the NCAA can really hang over ASU's head. And even though the NCAA has interviewed a lot of prospects, uh, some of them were committed to ASU in the past and no longer committed. Some of them never and never committed to ASU, but allegedly did visit Tempe. Uh, you know, beyond, beyond those interviews, I mean, what else has NCAA really found out? Now, the NCAA hasn't talked to any ASU staffers to date. And that, you know, is going to happen, you know, if not in the first couple months uh, of uh, 2022, maybe even happen in the summer at this rate. Uh, as we know, the NCAA and the investigations are not exactly the swiftest of processes out there. But, uh, you know, I, I think that ASU, putting those three assistant coaches on leave, have showed that their w- willingness to work with the NCAA. And I know that aspect in and itself really has drawn a lot of criticism from a lot of ASU fans thinking that if you're going to cooperate with the NCAA, wh- where's, where's that going to get you? Well, I think, you know, Michael Crow, the university president, you know, is taking that calculated risk that if we're going to, you know, show that we're willing to work with NCAA, uh, you know, to, to some extent, then hopefully that's going to pay dividends uh, uh, down the road. I mean, bottom line is, I think ASU is going to have to suffer some recruiting sanctions, but my gut tells me it's not going to be as severe as people think, it, think it's going to be. I don't, I feel that ASU may even escape and not have to have a postseason ban, whether it's imposed or handed down by the, by, by the NCAA, but there's no doubt that NCAA, that ASU is not going to come out unscathed out of this. The question is, and maybe this is where you're going with going with your inquiry, Joe. What's going to happen with the 2023 class? I mean, we know that the NCAA investigations really hurt this current 2022 class, but is 2023 just going to be re- removed uh, enough from the investigation that ASU can actually land a quote-unquote normal class with maybe a handful or so four-star prospects out of high school? I don't think it's out of the question, but obviously if the NCAA investigation by some miracle can wrap up in the spring and the sanctions end up being uh, much less severe than people think they are. But more importantly, if that, if this whole NCAA investigation can be put to bed by some miracle by March or April, then I think ASU does at least on paper have a good chance of having a normal 2023 recruiting class and one that uh, is going to produce uh, maybe better athletes from the high school ranks compared to what we're seeing right now in the 2022 class. So not just with ASU, but recruiting really on a national scale. 
is really changing with the transfer portal and the laxed transfer requirements and things like that. How do you see that impacting just how, uh, you know, talent acquisition, if we want to call it that, whether it's recruiting from the high school level, JUCOs, transfers, and, and that sort of roster management, how, how is that changing the landscape of how college football teams put themselves together? Well, I think it's just all a matter about instant, instant gratification. And if you look, if you're a four or five star prospect, obviously by and large schools are going to take their time and they're not going to say the heck with you. I'm going to get somebody from the transfer portal. If there is a four or five star prospect that is taking their time and maybe only wants to sign in February rather than December, if they're worth their weight in gold, then yes, uh, schools will wait for them and, uh, and sign them. But uh, you know, in terms of like the middle of the road average uh, prospects, you could see some of them, uh, maybe trying to find a home right here, right now in the December signing period, and not wanting to, not wanting to wait until February. Uh, you know, and and ASU does, actually has one interesting case with a, a commit from Washington safety Tristan Dunn, uh, who I exchanged text the other day. He said he's still committed to ASU, but now he only wants to sign in February. So he, he's betting on himself. And now the question is, okay, I mean ASU, especially at this position, safety. Do they wait for somebody like Tristan Dunn to sign in February? Or do they go for the quote-unquote maybe sure thing from the transfer portal? Uh, so it, it's really just a matter of, you know, what, what what positions do you need to have more of the sure thing? And what positions are you willing to take that normal chance, if you will, that you would take on, on any given high school prospect in a, in a recruiting class that you, you do have time to develop? Uh, again, when I talk when you talk about ASU – I feel when it comes to left tackle, nose tackle, and safeties, I have a feeling that ASU is really going to want to go to the transfer portal and not put, you know, put their chips on on a high school prospect or even a junior college transfer to think that they can fulfill that position and fulfill it effectively enough that they don't have to worry about looking looking to the transfer portal. But uh, again, it just depends, I think, on, on on the position itself and where ASU or school, I guess you, I should say, needs to get more of a proven player, and that's going to be in the transfer portal, versus maybe get someone who has a lot of potential for the high school or junior college ranks and willing to take a chance on that individual and just have make, make sure they can develop. One thing you just got to keep in mind, Joe, that I would say most uh, prospects that you're going to sign from here on out have been transfer portal guys. Now it's a question is, can they come here in time in the spring? Not just because ASU has... Uh, really uh, changed a, a lot of their academic calendar. I'm not going to get into the weeds here too much, but it's possible for ASU even to have a transfer portal guy, let's say, commit to ASU in February and still be able to um, start the what they call Session B on March 8th or March 6th. I'm sorry, and that's actually uh, that's actually could be very, very close to the start of the of spring practice. So it's not it's not out of the question that ASU can even add somebody from the transfer portal that late in the game and then still have them be part of spring practice. But I would say that just any addition right now, if they're not participating in spring practice, it really becomes that much more a steep of the hill, even if it's a proven player from the transfer portal. So if you're ASU, we just have to be really, really careful in uh, who you add and, and when you add them, because if they're just coming here in fall camp, especially just about uh, just a high school prospect, or it's going to be a junior college uh, um, transfer, um, maybe that's going to be an acclimation process that's going to take longer than usual. And sometimes 
Uh, you're just not going to have the luxury, again, depending which position we're talking about here. Since the early signing period was introduced a few years ago, it had really kind of become the standard where most of the action or a lot of the action across the country has been happening. However, there has been some growing sentiment uh, of late uh, for a number of reasons advocating to either eliminate the early signing period or push it back uh, into January. Uh, what are your thoughts on the early signing period and its uh, potential future? Well, look, I think the early signing period is uh, really the classic double-edged double sword. I mean, sure, the, there are some recruits that schools are going to be very, very anxious, especially higher caliber recruits that you just want to, you know, celebrate Christmas uh, in peace, if you will, uh, knowing, knowing that you guy, knowing you have this guy signed, sealed, and delivered instead of w waiting it out until January or, or, even, or even February. And even though you have a, recru a recruiting dead period that uh, we're, that started, uh, you know, just a couple of days ago and it's going to last last until mid middle of January, you know, in today's world, you know, with, with Zoom and FaceTime, I mean, I almost feel like the dead period is, is, is almost meaningless because uh, you, you not only can have constant communication via via phone, but you can have it also, you know, actually seeing the the, the person that you're talking to on, on the other line. So I, I think that, you know, just eliminating it altogether, in my opinion, might be might be too harsh of a move and really a solution to to a non problem, if you ask me. I think I think that you know schools ultimately will want to have some of the recruits again, especially the higher caliber ones, done in the middle of December, and you don't want to sweat it out in January, let, let, let alone February. Uh, but but uh, obviously, I could also see the the argument that you know some schools want want the opportunity to to, to uh, keep on recruiting. You know, don't forget that you know that schools uh, that participating in bowl games let alone, you know, fortunate enough to be in the playoffs, are really trying to balance um, all these practices and recruiting activities. Uh, but when you have a mid-December uh, mid signing period, whereas if you're done with your playoffs if, or you're done with your postseason in general, now you have a, a month of January, which is wide open for recruiting activities ahead of a February, a February signing period. And like it was in the quote-unquote old days, um, that's when um, really schools – didn't worry about uh, engaging in heavy-duty recruiting activities in December because they knew they had the whole month of January, and it was much more common to really bring the heavy-hitting visit weeks, if you will, in January rather than Dece December, let alone November. So um, I think that, you know, I, I, I can definitely see the, the arguments uh, for both, but uh, I, I feel that if you're um, – you know, actually, I would say even if you're blue blood or just like a, a uh, just a program in the middle of the road, you definitely want your coveted recruits, the ones that you courted for months and months and months and did get a pledge from them. It, it, um, ultimately, you want those guys in the bag secured uh, in the middle of December rather than stretch out uh, the signing date to January or, or just, just have it just in February like, like, like it was up, up until four or five years ago because – uh, that can really open the door to more to, to more problems than benefits. And again, maybe the blue bloods don't get don't get affected that much. But a school like ASU, I think, could could be adversely impacted if you eliminated the December signing period altogether. And again, just went to one signing period in February. 